Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Words podcast. It's a real pleasure if you're choosing to join us again today. I'm recording this on what is undoubtedly not the easiest day for everybody. In the UK we're going in back into a national lockdown and the US is and the rest of the world sitting and waiting for uh, the results of a presidential election. So we've all got a lot of other things on our mind. But uh, if this conversation with today's author uh, gives you a slight break from the tension of those various variables, um, I will be uh, very grateful to have been able to provide that to you. Today's author is not only an author, but is also a commissioning editor and was, in fact, my commissioning editor at Trapeze last year. So it was a real pleasure to sit down and have the conversation with our author this week about her third psychological thriller, The Babysitter. She is also going to be the author of a book released next April, which I haven't read yet, but it sounds very exciting, and she shares uh, a little bit about that with us today. So it's a pleasure to introduce you to Phoebe Morgan. Um, She has written a book that I found incredibly fast-paced, a real page turner, very difficult to put down, um, with a wonderful mystery at its heart and a fabulous hook. So I'm going to leave you with this week's conversation with the author of The Babysitter, Phoebe Morgan. Thank you so much for being here. It's it's really nice to have the chance to talk about The Babysitter. Um, when I read it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought everything about it made it very, very readable. It was that sort of the book that you didn't want to put down. I kept going back to it. I was reading it late at night. So um, congratulations. It was no, such a great you. book. Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, it's quite funny because it feels like a long time ago now because it came out in end of May in the UK. Um, and that was not proper lockdown, but it was sort of on the edge of being in lockdown. Yeah. Um, and and then I was just writing the next one, like probably the same as you. It's funny, like your head's already yes. in like the, the next book and yes. then you're trying to promote the previous book um so it feels yeah it feels like ages ago because time has gone so strange and this year it's gone really out of sync but yeah, it's actually not may, may it's not that long ago it just feels like a long time ago because so many things have happened and <laughs> they've changed been, they've been like three months for every month yeah <laughs> so. yeah, yeah it feels very odd <laughs> tell us a bit about it tell us a little bit about the babysitter what's it about um so the babysitter is a psychological thriller it's my third book and it is about a couple Siobhan and Callum who go on holiday to France and their holiday is very rudely interrupted one morning when the police come to the door and arrest Callum on suspicion of a murder back in Suffolk in England um and it's about the arrest of Callum and the disappearance of uh the baby um that um his 
lover was looking after. Um, so it's a kind of double mystery. You've got the disappearance um, of a young woman and, sorry, the disappearance of a baby um, and the murder of a young woman. Um, so it is kind of a whodunit. You find out what, ha what happened. Um, you find out about the murder like quite early on in the book um, and then it unravels to find out um, who who did it and why um and then there's also the search for the baby eve um so yeah i had a lot of fun writing it and it's set between france and suffolk um, which is where i grew up um so i really enjoyed having those kind of dual settings because for me setting is always a really big part of my novels and it's kind of where i get that first inspiration from um so i was really happy to be able to write one that's set near where I lived um, because it yeah I think it just gave it a bit of authenticity um, I hope anyway it certainly um, did yeah yeah I'd say well are you happy to share a bit with us yeah I thought I would read the um, opening because uh, that's sort of where it all kicks off um, and yeah like I said it, you kind of hear about the the event and the arrest right from the start and then it unspools from there um, so I'll just read the prologue if that's Fabulous. okay um, so, France, 13th of August, Siobhan. The day my husband is arrested on suspicion of murder is the hottest of the year. Sweat is clinging to the underside of my arms. My top, hastily thrown on at the sound of the bell echoing through the house, is unflatteringly tight around my stomach, dark lines of perspiration beginning to appear on the clinging white material. The bell is an old-fashioned one, pulled by a thin piece of rope hanging by the door of the villa, and the noise of it wakes us all up. Me, Callum, our daughter Emma, and my sister, Maria. My eyes are light on the digital clock. It's 09.03, and we have all slept late. We're on holiday. France is in the grip of a heat wave. Already, it is 33 degrees. We came to France two days ago to stay at Maria's holiday house in a tiny village on the baking northwest coast, Saint-Gillette, overlooked by a rocky peak that shades part of the garden. There is no police station in the village, just a tiny church that seats 40, a fancy restaurant overlooking the hills, a Saturday fish stall and a boulangerie, the opening hours of which are random and confusing. The police must have risen early this morning, made the drive over from Rouen or Dieppe, navigated the treacherous steep hill down to the holiday villa. No cars come down here unless they absolutely have to, unless it's an emergency. There are two officers, a man and a woman, both French, with heavy accents that my sleep-addled brain is slow to understand. My husband is in a faded t-shirt and boxes, his feet bare, dark hairs covering his legs. At first, I think that something must have happened at home. My mind goes to my mother, elderly now, a frail 86-year-old living stubbornly on in a care home on the outskirts of Norwich, alone apart from the nurses. Her grasp of reality has diminished severely of late, it's been a few weeks since I've made the dutiful trip to see her, and guilt squeezes my insides, fast and unpleasant. Callum's cousin has just given birth, and I worry that something has gone wrong, picturing her on blood-stained sheets in a hospital room. But of course, it's neither of those things. Behind me, I feel Emma's presence, the pad of her socked feet. She's in her pyjamas, her blonde hair is tied back in a bun. At 16, this morning she is childlike and innocent. A second later, Maria appears, a blue silk kimono wrapped around her tanned limbs. Our eyes meet, her gaze is familiar to me as my own. She is a mirror of me, a more beautiful version. Our mother often gets the two of us confused now. Callum is saying something, protesting, his pigeon French failing to convey the anger and shock that his hand gestures show perfectly. My heart is beginning to beat faster, a tiny drum in my chest. 
The police are stern, their faces set and unmovable. Too late, I realise that Emma shouldn't be here. Quickly, I turn from the door and take my daughter's arm, trying to pull her back towards the stairs. What's happening? She asks, her voice still smudged with sleep. Then Callum whips around, trying to reassure her, using the calming voice he always does when, he's anx- when she's anxious. He can be so kind to her when he wants to be, but his voice is still tinged with an edge of uncertainty that only I can hear. It's nothing, sweetheart. This is some sort of mistake. Siobhan, will you tell them? Maria, can you speak to them, please? He smiles at my sister, but it's strained, and the muscles in his cheeks are tight and false. My French is no better than his. My mind flits back to my O-level teacher droning on, a blue bottle buzzing against the window in a hot, dry classroom, the spill of blue ink on my fingers. We are both able to pick up the word the taller of the police officers is saying. Murder, murder. You are suspected of murder. I am frozen. I cannot move. Maria, whose command of the language is much better than ours, steps forward and begins to speak in rapid, urgent French. It's too fast for me. I don't understand. And then they say the name of the victim, clear as a bell, and I feel my vision begin to blur, panic grip my throat. It's her, Caroline Harvey. One of them steps forward, and in that second, our nightmare begins. That was the prologue. Thank you so much. It was a bit long. (laughs) It was very, it was great to hear it um, in your own voice and how you intended it to be heard. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I um, I got to go listen to the audiobook being recorded um, oh, wow. of my second one, not of that one. Um, and I always think that the actors sound so so much more professional than I would ever sound. Um, <laughs> and they, yeah, they record it in such a great way. Um, but yeah, it's um, sort of how I intended it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love about that prologue is that it. it it immediately throws you into this tense situation of somebody being arrested for murder. And it's such a tight hook. And I've heard you talk about as an editor that you look for such a tight hook. Um, How did you come up with it? What was your inspiration? Um, Well, I think usually I try to go for the setting first. Um, So I initially had the idea of setting it in a French villa, uh, which is based on a place that I stayed on holiday a couple of years ago. And I loved the idea of a holiday, quite an idyllic holiday, being interrupted by something really dark, so by the police at the door. So in my mind, I kind of started with the arrest and I wanted it to begin with that inciting incident um, because I think you can do it either way like a lot of books will start with kind of something a little bit more slow and then like build up to the incident or have it at the halfway point but I decided with this one I just wanted it to be there straight away um, so that it's a kind of backwards narrative um, rather than the more traditional forwards narrative Um, and I really liked the idea of there being a double mystery to solve so finding out what happened to the baby and who killed Caroline Um, so it partly came yeah from the setting um, and I think just being in the French villa gave me so many ideas like when I was there I was sort of lying by the pool and pretending to relax but really I was sort of imagining all these dark things (laughs) happening um which yeah I guess it's just the mind of a crime writer (laughs) I think so I don't think as a crime writer you ever really switch off and sometimes the most beautiful places give you the best inspiration for the darkest things Mm, yeah yeah it's funny yeah you've always kind of got your mind ticking away thinking of what would happen if this was spoiled by this or what would happen if that happened yeah and and that 
that um, prologue and the first couple of chapters after that, you really get this immediate sense that you've been thrown into what it feels just like a disastrous marriage um, with people really sort of um, who are in the grip of already had huge problems even before somebody was arrested on the suspicion of murder. Um, and I wondered how you came up with that couple and which one of the couple inspired you first? Um, so that's a good question. So the couple are um, Callum and Siobhan. So he is a TV executive um, based in Ipswich and he takes himself very seriously. He's very arrogant. You're not really meant to like him much as a character. Um, and then Siobhan, his wife, um, she doesn't really talk much about her job. She um, works in pharmaceuticals, but she kind of is very overshadowed by Callum and she lets him take the lead in most of their conversations but then behind the scenes she's potentially sort of planning her own um ideas and her I don't want to give anything away but she she does have ideas of her own but she doesn't really let them surface because she spent her life sort of pandering to her husband um I think for me um Siobhan is an easier character to write I always find it easier to write in a female perspective um yes. obviously probably because of who I am <laughs> um and so she was the character that came to me first um and some some of the points around Callum um are taken from real uh conversations I mean not he's not based on anyone but there's sort of snippets of um real people or real interactions that I've seen um especially working in kind of big corporations you sometimes there's like a scene where um he comes in for a uh, a meeting and no one touches the biscuits that are in the middle of the table and I've sat in a lot of meetings like that where everyone's <laughs> just too polite um or where you know maybe a man is kind of dominating the room and so he is kind of made up of a few different incidents that have kind of been put into one person um and yeah together they're not they're not a very happy couple and that's kind of obvious from the beginning uh but they are a couple that have so far stayed together potentially for the sake of their daughter Emma and I wanted to explore that as well I think a lot of couples do that um, and obviously some don't um, but I think that it's it is quite common in a marriage for there to be these hidden cracks beneath the surface but and a kind of outward display of perfection potentially for the sake of a child so yeah I wanted to make sure I wrote about that definitely in the first few chapters that really comes across that really comes across um all the characters feel really well rounded and um like you say Callum isn't inherently likable um yeah. but he comes across as somebody that potentially we could have met um I don't know whether you caught the episode with um Elizabeth Kay who wrote Seven Lies and she was talking yeah. about Charles and um, my feeling actually is that I loved that character and I also like Callum because they are such sort of I'll use the word um, arrogant is the right word. They're so arrogant, but they're actually so much fun to read because we've all met these people in some capacity mm. in real life. Mm. Yeah, I think he's very unapologetic about who he is. And yeah, I really liked um, the Elizabeth Kay as well. She's a great writer and an editor. Um, so I, yeah, he is quite a fun character to write. And a lot of the book um, is him speaking to the police. So a lot of the babysitter is based on interviews that he's having with the police and sometimes with his lawyer there. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of dialogue. And that was quite fun because he is just so 
rude like he's quite rude to the police he's really unapologetic um whereas from the female side uh, a lot of the characters are the opposite of that so they are constantly justifying themselves or apologizing um and Callum is like very direct very straight talking um and I actually quite enjoyed the scenes like there was one in the prologue where he's being unnerved like if the police are there or he's being questioned and his sort of very steely persona is being rocked a little bit um so that was quite fun to sort of play around with him but a lot of people don't like him a lot of my reviews have said um yeah he really provoked anger in them which I thought was a good sign because at least it's provoked yeah. a feeling <laughs> and, and and also the point you know he's not supposed to yeah. be a likable character I don't think we have to no. have all of our characters with redeeming qualities some people on the surface they don't have any redeeming qualities that's real life yeah I think you're right and I actually really like reading about dislikable characters um I mean as yeah as an editor in my day job I get a lot of submissions and a lot of the characters in crime are quite yeah quite dislikable um and I think for some editors and readers it bothers them but for me I'm always like no bring it on I I think it's great fun to read about people who are a little bit wicked and like you say some people are like that in real life not everyone is not everyone is a good person unfortunately so um yeah I think it's quite fun to read well blurring the lines here now obviously talking about your characters and also putting your editor's hat on you say that a lot of the the submissions that you get are unlikable characters and you obviously enjoy writing unlikable characters because you write crime as well with characters like Callum so what is it that you're looking for in an unlikable character that makes you connect with them rather than just saying "I, I can't read about this person Mm, I think you have got to have something that feels realistic and relatable. Um, So I struggle sometimes reading serial killer novels where the uh, killer or the protagonist or whoever has uh, zero empathy um, and has a kind of no, um, nothing that the reader can properly understand. So I think it's quite important with a villainous character to um, make clear why they are the way they are. So maybe it's something in their background or it's um, just a kind of chink in their armour that doesn't make you necessarily sympathise with them, but it does make you empathise with them. Um, And so I think that that is important. I think readers want to feel that there is something that they can understand or relate to even in the worst of characters um and I don't think that needs to change the person's personality I don't think it needs to make them into a good person but I think it has to feel realistic um so and and then they need to be imaginable you know like you say I'm glad that you said you could imagine people like Callum and meeting someone like Callum in real life I think that's really important as well with the kind of bad guy um I think so, I've read yeah, I think that's what I look for. Yes, <laughs> we probably all have. Um, so yeah, I think I look out for that in other people's manuscripts. Um, and and you need to, they need to provoke any kind of feeling. Like you, it's fine if they provoke hatred in you, but the worst thing I think is for a character just to provoke nothing. Um, yes. You yeah. don't want a a two D character or someone that doesn't leap off the page properly. Yeah. Well, none of your characters felt two D. Um, they felt like this really complicated. Um, and at times destructive family um and that was you've already mentioned one of the things that you wanted to explore but what other themes is it that as a writer either in this book or in your other work that you find yourself drawn to I I always think as a writer there are certain themes that we always come back to time and time again even if we're exploring it in a different way what is it that inspires you to write your fiction 
Yeah, I think that's so true. We do come back to stuff. I mean, I always come back to sibling relationships um, without meaning to. Um, I have two brothers who I'm really close to. So I think maybe it's a sort of sub subconscious thing that yes. I, I find siblings really fascinating in that dynamic. Um, and my first book, The Dollhouse, was all about sisters. And then the babysitter ended up having quite a strong sisterly relationship as well between Siobhan and Maria. Um, and it's almost like I'd got partway through the book and then I was like, oh, no, I'm writing about sisters again um and so I kind of almost didn't do it on purpose um but yeah I think siblings are endlessly fascinating because they're people that you share such close DNA with um just on a practical level and I think it's fascinating how differently siblings can turn out I'm quite interested in the whole nature versus nurture thing um and the idea of people having very similar childhoods and then going off in very different directions and developing really different ways of looking at the world um so I think that's definitely something that inspires me um and yeah I, like I said I do quite often write female figures and female characters um and I like to sort of make sure those voices feel like the strongest um, in my novels. And I, I also like to explore different points of view. Um, I can't remember whether we, we've talked about the affair before. I think maybe we have, but I, I love the TV show. Yeah. yeah. But I love the idea of seeing the same event from two or three different perspectives. And I think that TV show does that really, really well. Um, and you, and the idea that there is no, sense of real truth and there yes. there's only people's versions of events um so that's something that I am doing a lot of in the fourth book which is um not out yet but that's told from a couple of different perspectives and sometimes you see the same things happening but you see them in a slightly different way um so yeah that's something that I find quite interesting as well yeah that show did that so well um yeah I think so I was well. probably three or four episodes in before I realized hang on a minute we're seeing people in different appearances the same settings mm. different uniforms lengths of skirts that kind of thing and, yeah and it makes you very aware that there is no such thing as the truth which works mm. so well in in crime fiction or in this instance drama mm. yeah I think it did it so well and it's just yeah the idea of perception being different like you and I could maybe come away from this podcast having had like quite different experiences of it or like different yeah. thoughts throughout it yeah. um so yeah I think it's really fascinating yeah definitely um one of the things that um I really liked about this book is that it's really hard to put down I find all of your books are, they're so easy to read you just want to read page after page after page and is that something that you're conscious of when you're writing are you trying to balance sort of detail with pace because it comes across as if you've done it so well maybe that's just because you're a great editor oh, I don't know but thank you um yeah it's definitely something that I'm I try really hard to do so I don't think it's necessarily easy um but I think it's really important to focus on pace especially with commercial fiction I mean all types of commercial fiction but particularly crime because you're trying so hard to keep the reader on the edge of their seat mm. um, so whenever anyone says that it works I feel really pleased because it does it does take a bit of thought I think and I, fo I try and focus a lot on um, the opening and the closing parts of chapters um, and introducing sort of red herrings and cliffhangers which all sounds really basic but actually they are really impactful um, and sometimes it's just about editing like you say and actually using fewer words like less is more in a way um, and quite often I'll overwrite something and then go back and like 
really strip it down um, and find that then it becomes much more suspenseful. Um, and I think it's something my agent really taught me when I was writing my first book um, because, you know, she liked it, but it was quite long and there was like a lot of exposition and a lot of description. Um, and she was like, the pace is just really dragging. And I was like, oh, I remember getting the email and I was so upset. And I was like, oh no, she doesn't like it anymore. But she was like, you have to like try and sort out the pacing. Like it's just too slow. It feels like wading through treacle. And I was like, oh, thanks for that. Um, but <laughs> that she, 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 meant, she meant it in like a very, like she's very, very constructive and positive way. Um, and then I redid it and I suddenly kind of got what she meant because then when I was reading it back, um, I found myself reading it more quickly, which I thought was a good sign because it would mean that a reader would get that same experience. Um, and something that I do which I find helpful is I always send my word document of my whip to my kindle so that I can read it as an editor might read it um, and sort of notice where my eyes are skimming over paragraphs or you know what I'm being drawn to because I think a reader would have a similar kind of experience um, so you do have to be quite brutal I think in order to achieve that pacing um, and I think it can only come after like a couple of drafts sometimes it doesn't always come in the first draft um I don't know did you did you find that when you were writing your thrillers um well I was just thinking while you were answering that that um there is definitely two heads I think that I have when I'm writing because the writing process is so insular and you're alone and you're thinking all of the ideas you're trying to build the world and build the characters and I know that for myself I have a tendency in my first drafts to waffle um you you were my commissioning editor for Little Wishes which I think when it came to you it was probably 95,000 words but when I sent that mm. to my agent it was 140,000 words so I got so many details in there that are not necessary and, and I've written 11 books and I'm still putting too much in there so um I'm always I'm always aware of that so I think it's a fantastic talent to have as a writer that you can strip it back on your own accord because um, for me, the relationship that's so important at that early stage is my is my agent because she always she always seems to find the right thing to say that makes me understand what I've got wrong. Like this time, um, in my latest draft, I had too much exposition in the first half, and um, and I can't remember the words that she used, but there was one sentence in her email, and suddenly I understood. Oh, of course, this is where I've gone wrong, and then it enabled me to take. I think I took 15 or 20,000 words out and um and suddenly the book made sense so mm. I think it can be really hard though taking out that amount of words um yeah whenever I as an editor if I ask an author to do that I know that it's really daunting because you just think oh my god like where are we going to cut those words yeah. and sometimes and sometimes it does require cutting a whole scene or a whole character but other times it really doesn't like actually you yeah. can keep the exact same plot yeah. but you just need to cut out a lot of the yeah one sentence from one page and you've lost like seven thousand words or something yeah like sometimes <laughs> <laughs> sometimes like you can just go through and make all these kind of little snips and then you can you can keep the the same main elements of the plot up. um it's and really it, interesting and it's also it's just part of the process of writing I remember writing my first book and sort of reaching 75,000 words and thinking yes I've done it <laughs> now I've finished um and like having no idea that probably like 50,000 of those words were rubbish <laughs> No, I'm sure they weren't, but like oh, they I, were. also, I, I also remember having that feeling when I first, when I first finished the dollhouse. I was like, oh my god, I've done it! And I was like, oh, the end, done. <laughs> like I can send this out now, brilliant. Um, and then yeah, when I think about the amount of work that went into it, 
yeah after that like I did a lot of work with my agent and then I did more work with my editor mm. um and yeah by that stage I was just absolutely sick of the sight of that manuscript I yeah. had read it so many times <laughs> um and I just still like I can't I just the thought of having to read it again just makes me feel quite ill um so yeah it's definitely a long process isn't it the writing oh, process. it is but I think that's also part of it I think if you're not bored by your book by the end of it you probably yeah, haven't seen it enough. You probably haven't read it enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, anyway, moving on from my books. Um, the locations were something that I wanted to ask you about. You've already mentioned that you were that you were on holiday in France and that you had grown up in was it Ipswich that you grew up um, in? I, not in Ipswich itself, but um kind of the surrounding area. Ipswich is our nearest big town. Um, but yeah, more the Suffolk countryside. Um, but I used to go to Ipswich quite a lot for um kind of like after school stuff um so yeah so it was it was yeah it was interesting writing something that's set around there and actually it's been nice I've had quite a lot of messages from people that live in the area just saying oh you know I really like that it's set here um yeah which is what I wanted um it's kind of a shame because I was going to do some more stuff with local bookshops um for this one because of where it was set obviously though we're recording in 2020 and so everything got cancelled um so that did not happen (laughs) from the perspective of writing it though did you did you find it more enjoyable or easier to write from the area that you knew so well I think I really did yeah um I yeah I I definitely found it easier to imagine and it's not so I took quite a lot of liberties with stuff um and occasionally I mean, I think you do get the odd Amazon reviewer saying, well, this street doesn't lead into that street and stuff like that. So so to avoid that, I kind of changed the street names and stuff, but I made like some things obvious. Um, so there's a big park called Christchurch Park, which I kept in and that's where Callum lives. And um, there's the Ipswich docks and the waterfront. Um, and so I was describing that and the kind of walk home past the water. Um, so it was kind of very much based on Ipswich and it is named as Ipswich, but then there's some little details that aren't exactly right because I think, you know, things change so much in towns there's so much construction yeah. so you're bound to get a slip it up if you yeah. put something in that's really concrete um but yeah I think it I think it it was easier to imagine um and it was quite immersive sort of just imagining somewhere that I knew so well um and less research as well which is great <laughs> yeah that always helps <laughs> that always yeah. helps when you know you're gonna have to read it 20 times yeah um and then in the book that I have just finished so the fourth book I completely changed and set it in um Botswana in Africa uh so that's um something that required a lot more research um have you been so there I kind of took it from one extreme to another no I was hoping that maybe I would get to go but obviously then all the travel got stopped and so I didn't go um so I haven't been, but I, I did do a lot of research um, and talked to people that had been, um, did a lot of reading, watched a lot of videos um, and tried to just educate myself as much as I could. Um, but luckily for me, it's all set in one specific place. It's set in a safari lodge. So right. you didn't have to kind of go too much further than the immediate surroundings. Um, it's a kind of very locked room, claustrophobic cast of characters um, for that one. But yeah, it was funny. I just took it from one, one extreme to the other. The third book was basically set on my doorstep and then the fourth one was a lot further away. Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to yeah. ask you about that. Can you share the title with us or anything that it's um, about? Yeah, so the fourth one um, is called The Wild Girls um, and it's out in April 2021, hopefully, if nothing changes. Um, So, yeah, it's about four girls um, who are invited to celebrate a 
birthday party in Botswana. They used to be best friends. They haven't spoken to each other for two years. Um, so they're very surprised to get this invitation to Felicity's birthday. Um, and when they arrive at this luxury safari lodge, they realize that Felicity isn't there, um, but a dinner has been laid out for them. There's champagne waiting for them, um, but the lodge is completely deserted. Uh, so it's about what happens then and what happened two years ago to make them fall out so badly. Um, so yeah, it's kind of my lockdown book. I wrote a lot of it when we were in proper lockdown earlier this year. Um, and I'm really grateful that I had it as a project, to be honest. Um, yes. It was really nice to lose yourself in. I'm sure maybe you feel the same, although you've got other commitments. But um, yeah, I think, I think having having something to completely get lost in when the world has gone so crazy is was really helpful for me I, yeah I think that is a great thing that is a great thing I, I know a lot of people find it really hard to write during lockdown but I think mm. that if you were able to focus on something creative while we were yeah. stuck at home then that's definitely a positive way of getting through the lockdown process and and actually it sounds like the wild girls is the wild girls the wild girls yeah, yeah. the wild girls is going to be quite claustrophobic in atmosphere being set in a lodge yeah. so absolutely the lockdown will have definitely yeah. helped you with yeah. that yeah <laughs> yeah I think you I didn't think of that before but yeah you're right I was feeling quite claustrophobic as I typed it sat at my kitchen table where I'd yeah. been for three months um so yeah hopefully people will enjoy it um yeah I'm excited about it I'm looking forward to it coming out oh, thank you um what was your you published sort of just on the cusp of lockdown but and you say you hadn't managed to get to these um sort of independent bookstores mm. to see mm. but what was your publishing experience like in lockdown did it did it differ a lot from normal um, I mean, it was it was still really good. Like my publisher HQ were really great. They um, did a lot of promotion and marketing, um, and I was really pleased with how it did. So it was still in the in the UK supermarkets, which were able to stay open. So we were able to sell um, through those, and obviously online. Um, and the ebook was selling pretty well, which was yeah great because it was at a time when you know when a lot of people were reading online um, yes. instead of in physical but yeah like I said the paperback was still out there in the shops so that was great um, I wasn't able to do any kind of launch party or anything um, which was a bit of a shame but my partner and I just had a dinner together um, uh, in the house at the kitchen table uh, as usual um, but it was it was really nice and I you know I had a lot of support online I think the book community has been great during lockdown you know David Nichols was doing that thing where he was um, yeah. supporting a new debut or not debut but any new publication um, each week so that was really nice um, and yeah I think it was it was one of those things where it wasn't exactly how I hoped it would be but something like this I suppose puts it into perspective you know I was just really yes. grateful that I'd had the chance to do something positive in lockdown and it was quite nice it was kind of a really hot day it was the end of May so it still felt like quite a fun day even though I couldn't really do anything in the external world <laughs> um, but yeah you know I think the writing community like I said has been like a really big support to a lot of people during the virus I think so we've and for, as an industry and certainly as myself as an author yeah. I felt very lucky in the sense that my my job didn't although I found it harder to do it because I was at home with a three-year-old which mm. you know it's not fun when it's 24 hours a day for three months all the time um but you know I was lucky that my that my job was able to continue you know relatively unhindered yeah. 
and have the flexibility yeah. to do it from anywhere at any time so yeah I mean it's a, it's a huge privilege and yeah I feel exactly the same I was able to do my writing you know from home or you know outside I did a bit on the kind of we've got like a little rooftop thing and so I sat out there and um sat under an umbrella and uh mm-hmm. did a lot of writing outside um so yeah I mean from that perspective um nothing changed really you know I think a lot of the writer's life is spent sitting at home looking at the computer so that's not that different (laughs) yeah um you briefly mentioned there that you had a dinner with your partner who if I'm not wrong made a sort of brief appearance in the babysitter oh yeah he's um he's a detective so his name is um Alex Wildey which is the, the name of the detective um which everyone thinks is really funny um but he really it liked really it sweet. but it basically I'm just really unimaginative when it comes to names so a lot of my books have my friends names in or my colleagues names in or like an amalgamation so you'll probably see your own name pop up one day Michelle <laughs> I just you know I just take people that I've like recently spoken to um and I in my head I kind of put them in as placeholders and then I think oh I'm just gonna get on with the plot and I can sort that name out mm-hmm. afterwards and then what happens is they just take on the name and then I can't change the name I mean I could but I feel like I can't because person has the character has become that name I don't know if that sounds a bit silly no um, and so and so then I just can't change it so yeah it has um a lot of people in those names in um and yeah the main detective is is isn't it he's not based on my boyfriend but it's it's just his name which do you, yeah do you find yourself do you find yourself using sort of physical characteristics of the same people so if, you, if, um, if Michelle ends up in there she's gonna end up <laughs> <laughs> looking like me um, I mean, I try not to as much. So um, not not as much, like a, maybe a little bit. Um, but I tend, I'm not very good at physical description. I'll be honest, I don't think I'm very good. Like I remember my agent once said to me, like you literally haven't described these characters at all because they're so in my head. Yeah. I'm not. And I sort of describe them, their personalities, but I sometimes forget a little bit about their physical appearance. And I don't know why that is. Maybe I'm just not a particularly visual person. I'm not really sure. Um yeah, so I kind of have to consciously add it in. Yeah, your, your writing is so pacey that actually, if there is a lot of physical description, it doesn't really add a huge amount to the book moving forward, unless there's a very specific characteristic. Um, yeah, maybe I don't know because actually, yeah, my editor said about the Wild Girls. She was like, "What do they look like?" Uh, you haven't really mentioned it. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely it's obviously something that I I do quite a lot. Um, but I don't know. I didn't have a television when I was growing Sometimes I think I didn't have a TV when I was growing up. Um, so I didn't watch TV for like years of my life. So I think, you know, whenever anyone says, oh, who would play this person in a film? Like, I literally have no idea. I never know what to say to that question. And I think I'm just not very used. To, I do watch a lot of TV now, but I just I'm not used to picturing people in that way. I know that sounds a bit odd. but Well, it hasn't yeah. hindered any of the books that I've read. Of oh, well, at thank all. you. Um, <laughs> It's probably because by that point, an editor has shouted at me and told me to change it. (laughs) Um, Well, The Babysitter's out now. The Wild Girls (laughs) is going to be out next April. Um, Just give us, and I know that you can do this because you're an editor as well. um, Give us an elevator pitch, an elevator pitch for um, The Babysitter. The babysitter. Oh God. Um, okay. Uh, it's about um, what happens when you leave your child in the care of a babysitter who you don't know that well, and then that child disappears. And what do you hope that your readers take from it? Um, I hope they. I hope they don't figure out 
the mystery. A lot of the reviews I've read said they figured out who had done it, but then there's kind of another double twist at the end and a lot of people didn't see that coming. So I hope that I managed to keep them in suspense until the very last chapter. Well, you definitely kept me in suspense until the last chapter. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> it's been so nice to talk to you. So nice to talk about oh. your books. So nice to chat generally. Um, and I wish you all the very best with the ongoing publication of The Babysitter. And uh, I'll be celebrating with you in April. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for having me on. It's been so, a pleasure. Thanks very much for being here.